Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, 97.1 The Fan's Matt Andrews talks with an organizer of the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer, which is just a couple of weeks away. Courtesy of 10TV, Scott Light has a roundtable discussion about various political issues. His guests are State Representative Kristen Boggs, a Democrat from Columbus, Mike Gonadakis, who heads Ohio Right to Life and is on the State Medical Board, and University of Dayton political science professor Nancy Miller. They'll talk about raising the minimum wage, the impact the Trump presidency's had on Ohio, and election security for the March primary and beyond. And I'll wrap up the hour talking about health care with former U.S. Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle, who's a co-founder of the Bipartisan Policy Center. First up on Columbus Perspective, here's the fans' Matt Andrews. It's our privilege this week to be joined by Lisa Sisko with Travel Partners of Dublin. Lisa is responsible for the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer, which will set sail February the 16th through the 21st this year from down in Miami. Lisa, thanks so much for a few minutes. I want to talk to you about a little bit of the history of the cruise. Uh, obviously, the money to benefit the James and the Urban and Shelley Meyer Found, uh, Fund Foundation, along with the Wexner Medical Center. But can you can you get me into the background and, and how many years this will be for the cruise and, and I guess how it originated, if you don't mind? Sure, Matt. Thank you um, for having me. I appreciate it. Um, the cruise started back in uh, 2008. Uh, this is our 13th year. Wow. Um, it originated with um, Stephanie Spielman. Uh, the first three years, um, the fund went to the Spielman Fund. And unfortunately, the third year, Stephanie passed. And then Chris Spielman brought on Urban Meyer. And in year five, it transitioned to the Urban and Shelley Meyer Fund. But originally, um, my father-in-law at the time, um, back in uh, 1994, was the pitching coach for the Toronto Blue Jays, and they won the World Series back-to-back, and they had a um, World Series cruise on a cruise line, a different one than Royal Caribbean that we take. But they had the Alomar brothers and Joe Carter and um, Dave Winfield, like a whole bunch of big celebrities at the time in baseball. And they opened it to the public, and they only had about 200 people there. And I thought, that's crazy. If you ever did this for the Buckeyes and the Buckeye fans, it would be, you know, huge. Right. So um, years went by, though. I was raising my kids. I had a daughter that played volleyball, then volleyball at Ohio State, and so very busy. And then my mom, my grandma, my uncle, everybody seemed to get cancer. I said, I need to do something. Um, I should do this cruise. So um, I pitched it to Ohio State, and they said, well, um, you need to pitch it to the Spielmans, went over, and they said, it's great, we love it, let's do it, and that's how it all started. So it's more, it's more than just something for the Buckeyes. It's, there's some past personal history as well built into this for you, which I'm sure makes it special, probably uh, emotional, all at the same time, right? Absolutely. Um, my daughter, Nikki, is the only third-generation athlete at Ohio State, so we've always had the love for Ohio State. Her grandpa was a captain for Woody Hayes and an All-American in baseball. Then her dad and uncle played baseball, football, and she played volleyball. Steph was a close friend. I did her travel for about 15 years, the only walking angel I knew. And then cancer hit hard, you know, hit hard home, so um, that was a big thing. 
um, and then putting it together, it was how do we get the athletes? And I was fortunate enough that my youngest daughter, Rachel, was in Laura Hawk and AJ Hawk's wedding. And so uh, Laura, Laura helped me get um, Bobby Carpenter, Nick Mangold, Mike Nugent, AJ Hawk. Um, that first year, mm. um, Anthony Schlegel. So here there was, you know, a couple first round draft picks and, and then, um, I reached out to a few and then Kirk Herbstreet came, Archie. Um, so, you know, the hardest part, the first few years were people believing these athletes were really on it and that, you know, it, it was really happening. That's phenomenal. I want to ask you, how many people do you typically have per year? And is this year's cruise, again, in a couple of weeks, February 16th to the 21st, is there room for this year's cruise, or are you looking ahead to next year already? Um, there's a handful of cabins left this year just because there's been some cancellations, but it's basically sold out. And then next year we already have our date. It's uh, February 21st through the 26th. But um, uh, this year should be really good. We have um, Darius Rucker. Um, Hootie and the Blowfish sure. um, singer, you know, as our main entertainment. So we're thrilled. And um, a little brief history in uh, fundraising. It took us the first four years to raise $1 million. And from the 5th to the 12th, we've raised over $20 million. And this year, with our projections, we have a chance to hit $25 million and break a new record. And last year, we raised 3.25, and we're projected to raise a lot more than that. So it's going to be really exciting. Lisa Cisco with Travel Partners of Dublin is joining us on this week's show. And we're talking about the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer, which leaves out of Port Miami February the 16th. Lisa, the uh, the amount of outpouring response from former Ohio State athletes, it's not surprising to those of us that, that follow the Buckeyes and know that they come back home and, and pay forward. And you mentioned a few of the guys that have kind of been with you from the start in this regard. Do you ever scratch your head and think, man, it's amazing how many of these people want to be a part of this, want to give back, and want to help continue to raise money? And Matt, the, I guess the amazing part is, too, they're like my babies. They sure. would do anything. Um, when we, there's, we probably have a wait list of 80 Buckeyes, and people say, why don't you take off, you know, the older ones and bring back new ones, or, you know, get on new ones, and it's like, but who has the heart like these guys? You know, if you haven't been on it, if you've been on it, you would never say that. And people that have been on it wouldn't say that. Um, these guys do anything all throughout the year because we have a lot of fundraising, you know, to reach 3 or $4 million. You can't just do it in three days. And they're up for anything. I had quite a few call me, you know, in the last month. What can we do, boss? What can we do? You know, and but they're the most gracious, big-hearted guys that you've ever met. And... um even the new guys, uh, this year we have uh, Terry McLaurin, um, Johnny Dixon, Paris Campbell. That whole receiver room, huh? The whole receiver route, and they're, they're like, they're so excited, so gracious, so polite, and, um, you know, so it's nice getting the new guys excited, and we have Kirk Herbstreet. He took a couple years off. He was on the first nine, then had a couple years off while his kids were in high school, and he's back this year, which is exciting. Mike Doss took off a few. He's back. Um, but basically we have the same crew and we try to, we try to add a few every year, but AJ Hawk, Bobby Carpenter, Anthony Schlegel, um, now Zach Boren, um, they're kind of, you know, the ringleaders, they approve the new athletes, um, 
you know, anything that we try to bring on new, they kind of have a say in everything. So it's, it's, you know, it's nice. I have that support from them. BuckeyeCruise.com is the website if you want to check out the itinerary. So for those of us that have never been, give us a rough sketch of the four or five days. Will you dock? Will, will folks be able to do whatever they'd like? Do they bid on certain things that they want to participate in? And I know some of the money that is raised for this is also raised in advance. If you could tell me a little bit more about just kind of the itinerary. Sure. sure. Um, the first two days we have a Papa John's and a Rooster's Day at Sea uh, filled with cornhole um, euchre tournaments. Um, we have a Fox uh, network with our Fox guys, Urban, Joshua Perry, and Robert Smith. And then we have an ESPN day with mm. um, with Kirk Herbstreet, Bobby Carpenter, um, Dustin Fox, and a coach from Ohio State will be on, um, depending on who they send. Mark Pantone is one of them. They'll be on the day. Um, we have horse races. We have Family Feud that raises money. We have an auction that raises almost a $1 million. It has um, the Heisman, Pebble Beach, Super Bowl. Um, it has the Masters. It has Jimmy Fallon. It has the ESPYs, the Country Music Awards. It's a bucket list after bucket list. Super Bowl, lower level seats for next year. Homes in Italy, homes in Costa Rica. All these are donated items. So that's what makes it so special, too. We have a horse race that raises 150000 We auction off the horses. Um, Shelly's a horse. Shelly Meyer's a horse. Um, so Shelly and Urban will be on the cruise? or Shelly and Urban will be on yeah. the cruise, yes. Um, Zeke's a horse. Um, he usually raises um, quite a bit of money. J.J. Sullinger raises the most than Zeke, and Zeke matches his horse. So he's donated over $30,000 to the fund the last three years, which is really, really nice. Um, we have, it's one of those cruises where you have to decide what you're not going to do sure. instead of what you're going to do. We have a concert out on deck with Darius Rucker. He's bringing his full band, 16 members, and they're actually spending the night and sailing back with us the last night to Miami because... They got so involved in it that they wanted to see how it worked, and they were so excited. So that's never happened. Um, so we're really thrilled about that. Um, we have um, Football 101 for Women, but probably the most important and the most inspiring, we have over 400 cancer survivors. They have a breakfast, and right? We have a breakfast yeah. with just the athletes, but opening night, it's all about them. They are they are saluted. They are um, brought down on stage. Every player, you know, all forty some of the Buckeye greats, shake their hands, hug them. Um, we have a musical ceremony. Part of the cancer survivors sing. It's like a Broadway production the first night, wow. and very very emotional. There's never a dry eye in the place. And we have the CEO, um, the two top doctors from the James, Doctor Farr. Dr. Cohn, they come on the cruise along with five other doctors. So we're heavily supported by the James and their staff, too, which makes it really nice. Lisa Sisko with Travel Partners of Dublin running the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer that will leave for Miami February the 16th. You mentioned the Survivor's Breakfast. I want to also ask you about something else that goes on. As I understand it, there's a run or a walk opportunity, right? Absolutely. Um, Coco K, I don't know if you've seen the TV commercials, but sure. it's so impressive. There's over-the-water bungalows where we have a VIP. But to kick off, um, Royal Caribbean put in like 200 and some million dollars into this island. 
It has the world's largest water slide, zip line, everything. This walk run has a thousand people on the ship walk. Um, we have the finish on the 50, um, the Buckeye four miler, the Ohio State four miler, um, in the fall, and we carry this through to the ship, and it's um, it's the four miler basically on the ship. So these people get to get off early in Coco Cay, and um, they'll do the walk run there, and then they'll enjoy the island. Um, but this island um, is, has the largest freshwater pool in the Caribbean. Um, as I said, the overwater bungalows and infinity pool, water slides. I mean, it is absolutely incredible. Um, we took um, uh, Zach and Anthony Schlegel down a couple months ago to check it out. And they did some crazy videos, but it's, it's amazing. The new over-the-water bungalows in park is, is really spectacular. They did a really good job. Lisa, I know there are a lot of things that go on during the year. You mentioned the finish of the 50. There are numerous golf outings, and, and along with many things that will go on on the, on the cruise ship. Mm-hmm. But, but in terms of the fundraising that goes on for the three other 360 days of the year, the support, it, it just appears to me that it's overwhelming that people want to continue to, to give and donate uh, and assist for the actual cruise, which is only five or six days. <laughs> yeah, we. I had this crazy idea. I don't sleep a lot, Matt. If um, a thousand people could raise a thousand dollars doing what they loved, like if it's have a spaghetti dinner for fifty of your friends and charge twenty dollars, um, you know, do a garage sale, have a car wash, whatever it is, and um, raise a thousand dollars. If a thousand people did it, we'd raise a million dollars. Well, that's how it started. And um, for example, my hometown said, you know, let's help lease out. Let's raise a thousand dollars. Well, St. Mary's, Ohio started out with maybe five to 10000 the first year. And now 10 years, 11 years later, they've raised over a million dollars themselves. J.R. Memorial um, Indian Lake started out, um, I think, seven years ago. I don't want to screw up any years, but um, they started out seven, eight years ago and raised $5,000. They raised over 300000 this year. We started the A.J. Hawk um, Fund. And that raised over three hundred thousand. Um, just just crazy that started out from this crazy idea. If you thousand people can raise a thousand dollars doing what they love, you can raise a million dollars. But kids have lemonade stands for three hundred twenty six dollars, garage sales for seven hundred fifty. Mm. But it all adds up, and we are truly grassroots. There's nobody giving us millions of dollars. We're truly and um, the biggest part of the Buckeye Cruise. We won an award last year. Um, uh, from the National Philanthropic Society for our volunteers. We have over 200 faithful volunteers, and as a project goes on, you see people dwindle and come less and less. Not this one. We get more every meeting, and we just had over 200, probably almost 300 people stuffing 3,000 cruise bags. Wonderful. It's, it's just incredible. Wow. Our volunteer staff. Last thing I want to ask you about. Sure. It's, it's got a little bit of a tie to uh, our radio station here in Columbus. Mm-hmm. 97.1 The Fan, but the Euchre Tournament to honor Emily Everett. And then uh-huh. uh, our pal Evan Blankenship will be performing with North and, North and Nashville on the, on the cruise. Emily was very, very special to us. She was like one of our children. Um, so this year, um, I still have on my desk, I have a plaque, Good Vibes Only. And I saw Emily just a few days before she passed. And, um, you know, it, it's really tough. So we're really glad to honor her this year. Um, with uh, the Good Vibes Only Euchre Tournament on the cruise, and we're sure it's going to be a huge hit. 
And Saturday night, um, one of your other um, own, uh, Evan Belankenship, um, he did a fundraiser at Lucky's in Hilliard, and it was like a nightclub. There were people lined up out the door. We couldn't get everybody in. So it was incredible. And they actually um, opened up, well, actually, Jake Owen opened up for them last year, and until um, Darius was um, not spending the night, they were going to... Darius was going to open up for North to Nashville, but now we're going to flip it. But they will be opening up for Darius Rucker, so quite an honor. So, But very, very, very talented, very talented. Lisa, the effort is uh, its amazing. More than $10 million raised. Um, and again, more than $20 million more than 20 raised. Million we're raised. Hit 25. We're, we're 100, with our projections, we're 110000 off, raising $4 million. So if everything goes right, we could have a magical year, hit $4 million and $25 million to date, which would be absolutely incredible. And again, it's uh, this year, February 16th through the 21st from Miami. And again, if you could just reiterate where folks can go to get information for next year's cruise, uh, not, not to put the, the, uh, the cart ahead of the horse, if you will, <laughs> sure. but the dates as well on next year's event. Sure. It's uh, BuckeyeCruise.com. You can see all the videos, see all the highlights. It's quite entertaining. The date is February 21st to the 26th. We sail out of Miami. We will be going to Jamaica and Labadee, the private island. So it should be really action-packed. And our ship will have been um, in dry dock in November. It will be like a brand-new ship in February. So we're really excited. Lisa? It's a blessing what you're doing. We appreciate uh-huh. the information. And, uh, again, BuckeyeCruise.com if folks want to check it out. Thank you so much, Matt. And as we always say, go Bucks, beat cancer. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This Girl Scout cookie season, we Girl Scouts would like to say thank you, America. Thank you, cookie cravers, thin mint enthusiasts, peanut butter patrons, shortbread devotees. Every time you take a bite of a Girl Scout cookie, it's good for us. Your coconut and caramel cravings are our chance to practice goal setting. Your midnight snacks help us learn to manage money. Your freezers aren't just full of tasty treats. They're packed with entrepreneurship. That's right, entrepreneurship. You probably can't taste the business ethics or the decision-making or the people skills, but they're in there in every single mouthful. Every time you eat what's in the box, we learn how to think outside of it. So raise a glass of milk and raise our chances to reach our potential. Eat up, America. We're counting on you. I'm Catalina. I'm Melody. I'm Katie. I'm Devin. I'm Hannah. I'm Abby. I'm Juliana. I'm Nicole. I'm Olivia. I'm Colette. I'm Stefania. And we approve this message. The Girl Scout Cookie Program. Think out the box. Are you dreaming of something greater? A college degree? Job skills? A rewarding career? As a member of the Ohio Army National Guard, those dreams can become a reality. The Ohio National Guard Scholarship Program could pay 100% of your college tuition. As a proud member of the Ohio Army National Guard, you're eligible for the scholarship program as soon as you enlist. 
and you'll become a part of an elite group of men and women who've sworn to serve and protect their community, state, and nation. Start fulfilling your dreams today with an education that will help you land the career you've always wanted. Learn more about earning your degree debt-free and the many benefits that come with serving in the Ohio Army National Guard. Visit NationalGuard.com today. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. Have you ever experienced a wish come true? For a child battling a critical illness, a wish come true can be a turning point. One song, one dance, one game, one adventure, one moment changes everything. Make-A-Wish needs your support to grant the wish of every eligible child. Visit wish.org now to help grant more life-changing wishes. Together, we can transform lives one wish at a time. The stigma of addiction is destroying lives across the country, preventing our loved ones from getting the help they need. We are Shatterproof, a national nonprofit dedicated to ending the stigma and devastation addiction causes families. We are changing laws, creating a community of support, and providing evidence-based resources for prevention, treatment, and recovery. Stigma shatters lives. Rise up against addiction now so another life isn't lost. Get involved at shatterproof.org slash rise up. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of 10TV, here is Scott Light from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. Here's Scott. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another Sunday edition of Face the State. We are glad you're with us this morning. I'm Scott Light. Let me introduce you to a terrific panel of guests this morning, and they include State Representative Kristen Boggs is here. She serves the 18th District. She's also previously served as an Assistant Attorney General. Michael Ganadakis is back at the table. He's an attorney as well, president of Ohio Right to Life. And we welcome Dr. Nancy Miller back to the table as well from the University of Dayton. There she is Associate Director of Research in the school's Honors Program. Welcome all. Thank you. Good to have you here. Let's begin with some research here, and hopefully I'll get props from the professor because she deals in research every single day. Research points, especially in a presidential election, that people vote with their pocketbooks. They vote based on the country's economy and their own economy. So a move was approved to try to improve the economy of those making minimum wage. The attorney general's office certified the language that could amend the Ohio Constitution that could boost the minimum wage up to $13 in our state by 2025. Now comes the hard part. Supporters have to gather almost 443,000 signatures. If they do that, follow the process correctly, this could be on the November ballot for you to vote on. Professor, why don't you start us off here? Give us your take on this as both a policy matter and a political matter when it comes to raising the minimum wage. Um, There's a move in a lot of states, Mm -hmm. um, both through ballot initiative and through... Um, legislative action to increase the minimum wage, the state minimum wage, making it above the federal minimum wage. Um, So politically, um, it makes good sense because the vast majority of people who are working hourly jobs would love to have a raise. Um, And it's also about talking about living wages. 
um, the ability to have an, an hourly job and be able to pay your bills. Right now, Ohio is at $8.70. Mm-hmm. Um, Ohio is one of only a handful of states that actually has a raise in the minimum wage every year to meet cost of living. Right. Um, but in a lot of places, I think $8.70 an hour, if you're working 40 hours a week and you're the primary person responsible for expenses in your household, is it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of movements where there's been some research that says $15 an hour is what's a living wage in most places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is trying to get it up to 13 I think the proposal is to do it incrementally and not right. all at once. Right. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can get to the point where they're allowed to get signatures and then get the signatures that they need. Well, and to your point on the math, at, at uh, $8.70 an hour for somebody who is working 40 hours a week full-time, it's about $18,000 a year, and for a family of three, that is still almost $4,000 below the poverty level. Michael Ganadakis, there would be some conservatives who bristle sometimes at this, and they say, you know what, if uh, this could affect small business owners who sure. sometimes you know, have a hard enough time paying the bills and their mm-hmm. profits are, or you know, the margins are small. Yeah, uh, I, I think this is a bad idea, and I'll explain why. Um, I'm for everyone making as much money as they can um, in the private sector, of course. Um, but this is a dark money outside group trying to come into Ohio to amend our Constitution. It's no coincidence that this is happening during a presidential election mm-hmm. year. They're trying to move the needle for the Democrat Party to get more people to come out and vote. Anytime someone comes in and tries to mess with our Constitution, look what the casinos did. It's a disaster. It's a disaster for our schools. It's not working now. But here's the thing, Scott. I don't know any employer that's paying eight dollars and seventy cents an hour. Starbucks plays eleven to fifteen dollars an hour. McDonald's starts at ten and goes up to fifteen dollars an hour. Nationwide Children's Hospital, Nationwide Insurance Company. I think our largest employer, City of Columbus, are all at fifteen dollars an hour. Mm -hmm. So look, if you're a company paying eight seventy an hour, you're not going to have employees because employees have Mm -hmm. options today, and that's a great thing. The market recognizes. Look, our governor stood up this week and said we have more jobs than we have people to fill them. OhioMeansJobs.com. You go there right now. There's tens of thousands of jobs that pay 50000 a year offer health care, which is critically important, in 401k. We don't need this silly stuff here. People just need to go out into the marketplace, and they're doing a good job now getting higher wages, and employers are listening. Okay. Representative? I mean, I think that Mike just set forward a point that this should be easily to adopt in Ohio and mm. that the state should be responsible for setting a floor. If most of our companies are already doing it, then there shouldn't be any issue in codifying it in our Constitution or in our legislation. Uh, but the reality is, though, you know, a job should be uh, a source to uplift you out of poverty, not tie you to poverty. And when people do get stuck working in these jobs that only pay eight, nine, ten dollars an hour, the reality is when they can't afford to meet the demands, meet their bills, the entire state suffers. We need people to be able to take care of themselves when they're working 40 hours a week and they're putting in the time. Let me do this. I want to kind of broaden out this discussion. I talked to the folks at Finance Buzz this week. They did a national survey on how people feel about their respective financial picture since Donald Trump won the presidency. 59% of people said that their households are in roughly the same or worse financial shape over the past three years. 51% said their incomes have increased over the past three years. And boy, the financial planners would maybe grimace at this last number. 35% of folks nationwide said they have no retirement savings at all. So let's go from that because I talked to Ali Russo from Finance Buzz and then I asked her this, what are people saying moving forward? How do they feel moving forward in this election year? And here's what she said. More than half of our respondents are worried about a recession happening within the next year. We did also find that about a third of respondents, 32%, 
say that they're putting off a major financial decision until after the election. So, Representative, why don't you start us off here? Although stock market's doing great, 401ks are up for sure. This indicates that there's still a lot of worry out there on the parts of them on, on Americans' minds. Oh, I absolutely think there's a lot of worry. I mean, we talk about this in the General Assembly. There's the worry that we might be on the brink of a recession any time. We all have constituents that reach out to us that are struggling to, you know, pay for their college debt, pay have affordable childcare, and certainly in Franklin County, affordable housing is a huge mm-hmm. issue. Huge. And so, great, the stock market's doing well, but when everyday people can't pay their bills, that's a huge problem. But it is those kitchen table issues that people worry about. They worry about medical costs because those are surging and they almost everybody has a story of a friend or a family member who got sick and the bills and the debt pile up or they have children and they're looking at the cost of borrowing for college. Um, and so the last thing they're thinking about is, oh, my 401k is doing great, so I'm set up for retirement um, because that's something that's far in the future. And the voters' notion of the economy is much more immediate, mm-hmm. um, thinking about how is it doing recently. And, and I think what we've seen with the, the recent, like, over a decade growth is it's been really slow and steady. Um, and so it's not one of those things from year to year. You see these big gains in your paycheck. The sort of the wage growth's been kind of either slow, steady, a little mm-hmm. stagnant, dependent on like where you are. Like 1% to 3%, yeah. Yeah, depending on where you are in terms of um, what you earn. Um, and so I, I'm not surprised that there are numbers that a lot of people think they're about the same or even a little worse off or thinking about putting things or worried about a recession. Um, I mean, we've gone a really long time without a recession mm-hmm. or do one. Right. And everybody, I mean, most economists are like, they're just kind of waiting, like, when is it going to happen? And that every time they think it's going to happen, we pull out of it. I don't know how, but all indications are it may not be a horrifically bad recession, but no one knows and it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um so I, you know, I think the reactions we're seeing about pub- from the public about how they talk about the economy or, or what you would expect. Okay. To people who are worried out there, Michael, what do you say? I think that's human nature. You know, you, t- you say you get on the elevator and like, it's a nice day today. And then someone in the back always says, yeah, it's going to rain on Thursday, though. I mean, that's just human nature. You know, yeah. that's how people are. And it's good to be worried. You know, you don't want to spend frivolously. You have a budget, stick to it because you don't know what tomorrow may hold. But at the end of the day, our president just this week tweeted out, shocking, I know, um, the Gallup poll um, results and Gallup has 68 percent of Americans say the economy is good and they're satisfied where our economy is. No disrespect to Finance Buzz's uh, numbers. I'm sure they're right. University of Michigan on January 17th put out uh, the consumer sen- U.S. Consumer Sentiment Index at 99.1%. Pretty good. Stock market's good. Job market's good. All the economic indicators are good right now. No, none of us can predict what will happen tomorrow. But if we have a market correction, that doesn't mean recession. The, market, the stock market could go down 2,000 points, and we're still better off than we were before. But then you just you're going to get all the indicators are good. We have two new trade deals that the president has signed. Senator Sherrod Brown has praised the latest one mm-hmm. with Mexico and uh, Canada. So we, we're in a really good position. And this isn't political, Democrat or Republican. Our economy's good. Uh, and, and that's a good thing right now. Tomorrow it could change. But let's let's continue to ride the wave we have today. Okay. Well, I think what's important to note, though, just as a part of this conversation, is we've experienced one of the worst years in agriculture in this state mm-hmm. in a very long time. And so when you talk about the economy, 
economy, it's hard not to talk about what the farming community is going to be experiencing, especially because the way that their economy works is the losses that they're taking from last year are really going to hit them this year. Right. And that's incredibly scary for a lot of our rural communities who depend on that uh, income and right. revenue that Ohio has been particularly hit hard. And that's going to have a huge impact on our state economy, maybe in a way that's different from our national economy. Yeah, it's those futures markets, the soybean futures markets, the coin, corn futures markets. And to your point, weather and the tariffs mm-hmm. have been really, really tough on the Midwest. Let me do this. Hold your fire for a second. <laughs> and let me take a quick break. And the discussion continues, including this, a promise at the polls. Every piece of electronic equipment ever built is hackable, period. There are no exceptions. It's important for people to understand that in Ohio, voting machines are never connected to the Internet. They're not capable of being connected to the Internet, meaning that they don't have a wireless capability. Up next, we're going to talk about the security systems needed to keep your vote safe. This is how we do every day. We be if you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day. And it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Shortness of breath, patients confused, temp 102. He just had an infection. What's going on? It's becoming septic. Antibiotics started. Bed ready, let's move him. Infections can lead to a deadly chain reaction in your body called sepsis. Very quickly, sepsis can cause tissue damage, organ failure, and even death. If you know the risks, can spot the symptoms, and act fast, then you can get ahead of sepsis. Learn more at cdc.gov/sepsis. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting a Teenager Learning the Lingo. Jelly. Jelly adjective. Jelly is a shorter better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit adoptuskids.org. Brought to you by the US Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Back to Scott Light, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back, everyone. From now till November, we're going to talk a lot about politicians trying to secure your vote, but 
Let's turn that phrase a bit. Let's talk about how secure your vote really is. A quick editorial from the Dispatch, and they wrote this. Bigger state role can better protect voter registration. That was the headline. And then here was a, a line from it. Voter registration these days relies on sophisticated software, and county elections departments vary greatly in size and in capacity. State-level guidance would ensure that all are using reliable systems that work together. Welcome back, everyone. We're here at the table with Dr. Nancy Miller, Michael Ganadakis, and Representative Kristen Boggs. Um, Representative, do we need more state control over the 88 county boards of elections? I hate to use the word control. Okay. I think what we need to say is that they need more state support. All right. You know, the state certainly has a vested interest in making sure that our elections are secure, that um, everyone has easy access to be able to vote, and that requires resources. And the state should be providing that support to our local counties to make sure that they can run elections in an effective, safe, and easy, accessible manner. The resources a rural county has for buying voting machines on the regular versus a county like Franklin County is, is really significant and substantial. Mm -hmm. um, and the funding support from the federal and the state level to kind of assist has, you know, been inconsistent and minimal. Like I think in fiscal year 19 and 20, Congress has appropriated election security funding. That was the first time they had done it since 2010. Look, Ohio is one of nine states that does not have a centralized voter registration system. All as we talked about, all 88 counties get to decide who and uh, what software system they use. There's four out there. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to buy, if you're one of 88 counties and you want to buy an actual voting machine, there's a state board that has to approve those. That company that come into Ohio. Why we should also have a board that approves these voting um, registration systems. So we look. There's seven million records that are out there. People die. People move. People change their name. It's so complex. We need to have a state standard so the 88 counties know what to do. Look, their main function is to run elections, and they do a great job, both Democrats and Republicans. But once they start getting into the sophisticated stuff as it relates to the software and technology, let's have the state give them a helping hand and help set a state standard so then they know what the rules of the game are, whether it's Mercer County in a rural part of the state mm -hmm. or here in Franklin. Is that a way to go, do you think? No, I, I actually do agree that I think that, again, it's going back to there's not a one-size-fits-all solution to our voter registration issues in Ohio because we are such a diverse state. We do have counties that are small. We do have counties that are large. So we need to have a state system that can look and address the individual needs of the county so that everyone's on an even playing field. And that's going to require different levels of support, but there should be a floor, a baseline system set up so that everyone can have access to it. It does seem to pick up on Michael's point. It does seem I want to get your reaction to, to LaRose. Uh, he is getting um, accolades from people on both sides because it, it seems like he is less rigid than his predecessor when it comes to getting out there and looking for solutions on both sides of the aisle. Do, do you give him credit for that? I for believe talking about it in a bipartisan way. I believe that he is responding to what Ohioans are telling them they want to see. And Ohioans have consistently said they want things to be easier, accessible, and more streamlined. And so we've we've heard the call. We have been shouting the call that we hear from our constituents. And I think that Frank LaRose is trying to listen mm -hmm. and trying to urge some of the Republicans who are a little reticent in adopting a more modernized approach to elections. Uh, he's He is trying to bring them along. Okay. You were going to say, Michael? Uh, Senate Bill 194, it passed the Senate unit. 
unanimously, mm -hmm. all Democrats, all Republicans, 33 nothing. It's in the House now, Kristen, so hopefully we can get uh, our House leadership to pass it. And that will set a statewide standard for voter registration. It won't tell the counties what one of the four systems to pick, but here are the things to look for. Here are the safeguards in, to put in place when each of the 88 counties decide what to do with that. Mm -hmm. So it's done in the Senate. Let's just get it through the House. Right. And there's, there's also this, this notion of let's have a system that's opt out. Professor, instead of an opt-in system that, you know, if you want to not register, then that should be, you know, then you have to speak up. But you know what? If you've got a connection, if you're getting a fishing license or you're, you know, renewing your driver's license, then let's have automatic registration. Yeah, so automatic registration is, has been adopted by a number of states now. Right. Not many of them have actually implemented it yet. So some of them are new. They just passed in the past year or two. So the idea there is once you're 18, you would be automatically registered to vote, and then you would have to tell the state you don't want to be registered to vote. Right. Um, I guess the hope there is that would increase turnout. Um, so right, motor voter registration was passed in the mid-1990s. It didn't really do much to bump up turnout. It bumped up registrations because mm -hmm. everybody's like, sure, I'll register to vote. But then it's a completely different story, you know, getting people mobilized to actually vote. Um, I know that there is a, an idea floating around the state about doing a better job when you go to the, the BMV or another office to get a fishing license about, you know, having it already self-populate the information. So if you say, yes, I need to update or yes, mm -hmm. I want to register to vote, it's about signing a form as opposed to when they do it now, if you say, yes, I need to update or yes, I want to register to vote, you have to stop and fill out another form. Uh, which I think would kind of help. I think having the state have some guidelines about the data you need to collect and how we're going to kind of cross-check different lists mm -hmm. would be really helpful sure. to avoid duplication. Um, with that said, I mean, in terms of what the vast majority of political science research has sort of shown on, on voting and election security is most of the time, everybody, we're all really good about voting and nobody's really trying to game the system. Right. I think really where the, the focus on the security should be, and I think you, you heard this with Secretary of State LaRose talking about it, is the kind of thinking about the security of these electronic aspects of it. Mm -hmm. um, voting machines are a lot more secure than I think people think they are yeah. because they aren't connected to the Internet. Right. Um, right. And vast majority of them in Ohio have paper backups. So if something happens, you've got the paper <clears throat> that you can count. Um, where the systems become susceptible is in the registration rolls themselves, um, depending on how those are being kept and what the levels of internet, because those things are internet-based. I mean, I can go online right now and download every county's registration roll. I have names, addresses, party affiliations, and when they voted over like the past 10 or 15 years. Um, so securing that information, mm -hmm. um, even though it's, that's considered part of the public record, but securing it in a way so somebody can't get in there and change voter registrations and then all of a sudden like 20% of a county is not registered anymore. Right. Um, and I think that threat is really much more external. Mm -hmm. So like other countries, right, wanting to kind of hack in. And we, we've known from the 2016 election, there were potentially attempts by multiple different yeah. bad actor countries. And so talking about that and kind of letting, because I think sometimes voters and citizens worry about these things, that it's, it's literally about going in and changing votes. Mm -hmm. And it's really not. Right. It's really kind of about kind of these two steps removed from the process. Um, and so really being what I would really like to see is at all levels kind of funding and a real commitment on the cybersecurity aspect mm -hmm. of it. Let me do this. We're going to talk about water, new rules that could impact Ohio water, the people cheering new, less strict environmental standards. So will it affect the water that you and your family drink?
The Trump administration rolled back environmental standards on water that will take effect beginning in April. Now, some researchers say it'll be devastating to our water quality. So let's talk about that. Do those regs put our water supply in danger in terms of your safety? Representative Boggs, what do you think about this? I mean, I think we should lay the foundation that water is one of our most important natural resources. And so all the work, and I will give credit to the DeWine administration and Ohio State and the state legislature who have you know, put in so much time and effort in H2 Ohio mm -hmm. and the investment that we're making in clean water, this just feels like a smack in the face and a complete rollback to all of those efforts that are going into protecting Ohio's water because we know how important our water quality is. Do you worry about water safety? Yes. You do? I do. Absolutely. I have small kids. I drink water. The <laughs> we, we are all concerned about making sure that we have good drinkable water and because we've all seen the impacts of how mm -hmm. easy it is to have an issue with our drinking water in any of our areas of the state. Okay. Michael Ganadakis is back at the table. He's an attorney president of Ohio Right to Life. Water safety on the line here? Uh, no, not at all. My humble opinion, I like water too and I want my kids to have clean drinking water. We're all pro-water. We're pro-water. Yes. 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 Look, 18 states sued the Obama administration because we have the Clean Water Act, which is awesome. It's fantastic. Let's keep our, our rivers and streams and drinking water safe. But the rules that the Obama administration put out on top of the federal law was an overreach because it basically told farmers, and we talked moments ago about helping farmers, and it told home builders, and we talk about affordable housing, you can't build here because this dry piece of land might get wet someday. That was the issue. This wasn't about chemicals and water. It wasn't about making sure that we have uh, proper drinking water. It was about take, the federal government taking land away from states and saying this dry land here could be a wetland in the future. Mm -hmm. So farmer, you can't grow. Home builder, you can't build here. Or if you own the land yourself, you can't do anything with it. And this to 18 state said, hey, wait a minute, time out. This is a way overreach here. Uh, we understand we're going to keep our tributaries and our lakes and our streams and our rivers safe and clean and as is, but this dry land over here shouldn't be banned or, or a federal grab just because it might be something someday in the future. There is a point, though, <laughs> that people are worried that maybe these regs could crank out more permits quicker, and then that way there maybe could be some environmental things that could be sidestepped or or not looked at properly. I think that is a concern. It should be, yeah, and it's a concern. Hopefully our federal, federal regulators uh, will continue to do their job and make sure that they're doing it admirably at the state level, too, because we have a state EPA and a federal mm -hmm. EPA, and, and we're making sure that everyone that wants to use the land is doing it right. Okay. Dr. Nancy Miller from the University of Dayton. She is Associate Director of Research in the school's honors program. Professor, it's always interesting the bedfellows that politics creates, because to Michael's point, you had coal, oil, gas companies, farmers, home builders who lined up and were cheering these new regs and then environmentalists some Democrats and Democrats and some progressives on the other side worried about the economic or the environmental impact on this whole thing. Yeah, that's the fun of government, <laughs> right? Um, is government is kind of the thing that steps in to try to protect what's the common good and not because the individual interests of different parts of the common good don't always line up. Um, I think in, in terms of when we think about which kinds of interests or which kinds of groups are supported. I think this is policy in line with what the Trump administration's been doing with the mm -hmm. environment. Um, and so the concern isn't so much, I mean, this is, I think, in response to some pushback by a number of states, because um, it is heartening. You're, you're trying to balance the needs of farmers with the needs of protecting water or developers. Um, but if the development happens too fast, it might allow to... Um, you know, you, you want to hope that the regulation of it and make sure everybody's getting the right permits and doing it in the right places, it's not happening too fast. Um, so 
no one really knows until we start implementing. We talked about happening or things happening so fast. This half an hour flew by <laughs> so fast. They always do. Thank you all Thank you so much. for being here. Come back anytime. That's again Scott Light, courtesy of 10TV from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wiggins, a teacher in Gilmore City Bradgate School District in Iowa. Thanks to a science, technology, engineering, and math grant sponsored by Bear Fund, we renovated an old locker room into a monarch butterfly incubator, providing students with access to innovative technology that engages and inspires them. I encourage farmers to nominate a school district to apply for a $15,000 Grow Rural Education Grant by visiting americasfarmers.com. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. Listen, my life changed because someone was there to get me to use drugs. No one can understand. Whether or not they've struggled with addiction themselves, people seem to think that having someone who will listen is going to help make it better. I'm realizing that I... I need help. I'm listening. I need help. I'm realizing that I think that having someone who will listen is going to help make it better. Whether or not they've struggled with addiction themselves, people seem to understand. No one can get me to use drugs. My life changed because someone was there to listen. One in seven Americans will struggle with addiction during their lifetime. Want to know how you can help? Go to heretolisten.com for tips and tools to help turn addiction around. A public service announcement brought to you by the Ad Council. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. Talk to your doctor about creating a plan that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. This is Dave James. The Washington-based Bipartisan Policy Center has released a plan that it says answers voters' call to tackle rising health care costs, expand access to insurance, and improve quality of care by strengthening and building on America's current health care system instead of repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act or converting to a Medicare for All style system. A recent poll from the Bipartisan Policy Center, or BPC, shows nearly double the number of voters prefer improving the current system over replacing it. The survey also found that high out-of-pocket health care costs are a top concern for Americans in the 2020 election. Over the last 15 years, employee out-of-pocket costs increased by 58 percent, while wages only went up 27 percent. And average individual deductibles more than tripled to $1,655 last year from 533 in 2009. Joining me on the phone from Washington... 
former Senate Majority Leader from South Dakota, Tom Daschle, as well as Gail Walensky, who is the former head of what is now known as the Center for Medicare and Medicaid. She was under the President George H.W. Bush administration. How are you? We're just great, thank you. Glad to be with you. Thanks for talking to us. You are co-chairs of the Bipartisan Policy Center's Future of Healthcare Initiative. And what's going on with that these days, Senator? Well, Dave, I think uh, there is no question we have a number of major challenges to address as we look at health care. Health care policy is polarized politically, unfortunately. We're facing very, very high prices, outdated regulation, and lack of competition. And, and all of that leads us to find ways to address uh, the challenges in a more meaningful way to give people better access, uh, better quality, and lower cost. That's really what our project was all about. Well, Gail, the idea that there's a former Senate Majority Leader who's a Democrat and you're from the Bush administration, that's right off the bat a positive sign, I guess, for the Bipartisan uh, Policy Center. That's what we're all about. We understand that if you can't get people from different parties to agree on policies that resolve national problems, you're unlikely to sustain whatever solution you come up with. So uh, making sure that the policies we recommend not only get the job done, but are acceptable to both Republicans and Democrats who make an effort to work together. Dave, I think I think uh, what the American people want is to build on our current health care system. Uh, there's a comfort level in our current system. We have what I call a $3 trillion public-private partnership today. The public and the private sector working together in public and private programs. Um, there is support for, uh, for, for building on that, and that's really what the BPC has attempted to do over these past three years. Find ways to, to build on the system and make sure that everybody has the opportunity to be fully insured at, at reduced costs with higher quality. Some people are talking about maybe expanding Medicare to people 50 and up or something like that. Your plan doesn't involve anything like that? Well, I, I think what we what we try to do is to is to find ways to ensure that that uh, what, whatever we do has bipartisan support. What we found is that anything that doesn't have bipartisan support generally is the subject of uh, of a lot of efforts at uh, at repeal and 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 uh, and turmoil. We don't want that turmoil. We don't want that uncertainty. We want a far greater degree of consensus around policy. So uh, while some of us might prefer to go a little bit further, in the interest of ensuring that tranquility, that stability, that certainty, uh, we have uh, worked to, to build on the current system in a way that we think makes a lot of sense. So, Gail, how do you build on the current system and, and get prices down? Well, you need to make sure that you foster competition uh, in areas uh, where competition uh, has been diminished uh, frequently because of consolidation. So one of the proposals that we have looked at, for example, uh, says that uh, if as a result of hospital consolidation or other consolidation, uh, prices are higher than you would expect or want to see, uh, that you should be able to limit the reimbursement that is provided in areas uh, like that. We want to make sure that people who don't have access to coverage now 
because they are uh, too high of an income uh, to be able to get a subsidy uh, in the marketplace uh, from the Affordable Care Act. Uh, could get uh, a subsidy. And we want to try to make sure that employers have less pressure on them because we understand uh, so many of our working uh, people in this country have employer-sponsored insurance, so we want to lighten some of the burdens uh, that have been placed on employers uh, in terms of uh, regulations and requirements. We recognize people need to have coverage, uh, and it's particularly important that we help moderate-income people who may have gotten lost uh, in terms of some of the changes in the last few years, either because they're a little too high income to qualify for subsidies or because they're not able to get Medicaid uh, to be able to uh, get access to these programs uh, that uh, are appropriate for them. Again, uh, as Senator Daschle said, uh, most of us, uh, had to give up some ideas that we would have preferred uh, in order to be able to get a group of uh, policy-minded Republicans and Democrats uh, to agree on how to resolve these problems. I would just emphasize, Dave, how difficult it is. I mean, we, we all come to the table with very uh, strongly held views in a lot of different ways with regard to health policy. It's a passion for most of us. So finding consensus is not easy. It's part of the reason it took three years to accomplish. But nonetheless, it can be done. And I think what we've demonstrated in this project is that if you work at it hard enough, if you really are determined to find bipartisan approaches, you can find them. Well, they expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Ohio expanded its Medicaid program, but the state's share of that cost increases as time goes on. And we've heard for years that it's not sustainable at the state level. So how do you keep the lower income folks insured uh, going forward? Well, it's a question of what can you do to try to slow spending at the same time you're expanding access. And we think it's very important to look to see whether or not there aren't regulations that are being imposed uh, that are unhelpful uh, and to also try to foster competition because in general, uh, as somebody uh, who tried uh, regulation uh, extensively uh, running Medicare and Medicaid, uh, if it's possible to foster competition, that will help you put pressure on pricing. Um, that is not the only thing you need to do, but it's an important component. We've seen a lot of consolidation going on, uh, which has driven up prices, uh, and we need to make sure that that is not uh, adding to our problem. It's not easy. Uh, there are a lot of challenges in getting people with disparate views uh, to come to agreement on how to foster increased competition and expand uh, access uh, to coverage. Uh, but as a result of the time that we have spent uh, as a group, we have some very specific policies uh, to try to lower prices, to increase competition, uh, to make it a little easier uh, for us to have a sustainable uh, change uh, and reform uh, while we expand access. We all agreed on that. And as we wrap up here, Senator Daschle, where do you go with the plan from here? But the main thing we want to do today is to make sure that people are aware that, uh, well, we've experienced a lot of polarization around health policy over the last 10 years. There is hope. There is a real 
way forward, and uh, we want to demonstrate that uh, with emphasis today. So we're going to share this uh, this report with members of Congress, with uh, all the stakeholder groups, with the general public. We want to do as much as possible to uh, to emphasize that uh, that there are ways with which to address the challenges we face in healthcare, and we want to be a part of the solution. Former Senator Tom Daschle and Gail Walensky, who was with the President George H.W. Bush administration, they are the co-chairs of the Bipartisan Policy Center's Future of Healthcare Initiative. I imagine information available on the Bipartisan Policy Center website? That's correct. It's all there. Okay. Thanks so much to both of you for talking to us today. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to join you. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio, 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.